The South African pensions landscape has changed significantly over the last two decades. With this shift has come the change in the pension actuary's role in ensuring that retirement fund members achieve sustainable incomes in retirement. The next presentation will provide a brief overview of the changes thus far, how the actuary's role has changed, where pensions actuaries have become more involved in the new environment, as well as where pension actuaries might find themselves uh, going forward. I'd like to introduce to you a person who probably doesn't need an introduction, uh, John Anderson, uh, uh, who has presented to this forum many, many times before. Um, John started working at Alexander Forbes in 2001. During this time, he consulted to a number of large clients as evaluator, employee benefits consultant, as well as an investment consultant. He was also, in the, Cape he was also the head of the Cape Town branch of Alexander Forbes for a number of years, and later on became a national head of consulting strategy and then MD of uh, the R&D uh, product development uh, business. John also worked as a senior executive at Signia Asset Management, where, amongst other things, he developed a new umbrella fund offering, a unique post-retirement annuity solution, as well as a customized smoothing portfolio management solution for blue-collar workers. He also provided large clients with investment advice as their portfolio manager, managing a range of customers, customized multi-manager portfolios and overseeing the quants department. He then rejoined Alexander Forbes in May of 2017 as head of Group Client Solutions. In this role, he oversees the Alexander Forbes Group Solutions development in line with the company's approach of securing a lifetime of financial well-being for clients. John is a fellow of the Actuarial Society and a fellow of the Institute of, uh, and Faculty of Actuaries. Um, in 2016, John co-authored a paper titled The Retirement Income Frontier and its Application in Constructing Investment Strategies at Retirement. This paper was awarded the prize of the best paper by first-time authors and the best overall paper presented at the 2016 Actuarial Convention, as well as the German Institute of Pension Actuaries Special Award at the International Congress of Actuaries uh, just recently. Um, John is a previous member of various industry bodies, including the Research Committee and Retirement Matters Committee of the Actual Society, ASISA, uh, the Retirement Standing Committee, as well as ASISA's Retirement Reform Committee. He's also currently a member of the Council of the Actual Society of South Africa. Um, John, we're very pleased to have you present to us. Thanks very much. Uh, thanks so much, Costa, and uh, thanks so much, everybody, for your, for your time. Um, Costa asked me just to have a look at uh, you know, the, how the actuary's role has changed over the last, the last while, uh, 20 to 30 years, but also more importantly I think what's top of mind for many of you, and I've had discussions with many people here before today, they're really interested in <laughs> what is the role of the, the actuary, the pensions actuary. And, but the reality is if you go back 30 years, um, what we have done has changed. It might have just changed slowly and maybe you didn't notice. So maybe you know, some of what I'm going to do today is just to go back in uh, memory lane just to understand how things may have changed and then to give some perspective on, on the way forward. Um, there are some questions. I just want to ask the, one, the first one uh, just to get first testing the equipment but just to get a little bit more information on who you are. Um, and that's specifically, you know, your main role. I know that some of us have uh, multiple uh, uh, roles, but in terms of your, your role here today, what, what best describes you from those particular options? And I think if it's not there, you can just use other as a wall catch. But if... Okay, so we still have 35% uh, of you, DB evaluators. What I didn't ask there is how many 
valuations you do compared to maybe 20 years ago? Is it a big part of your portfolio? Or is it just that certificate that you've got? Um, mine actually lapsed at the end of last year. But I think the, the and, and DC uh, less so. Um, I think the reality is that, you know, this picture is going to be changing over time, and it has changed. You know, 30 years ago, everybody was a DB evaluator, and there wasn't any real work around DC. And then what happened is, you know, work was created around defined contribution, and certain roles were created. I mean, these days, a lot of pensions actuaries are actually working in product development, in asset management, in life insurers, combining various, various things as well. So I think it's not just if you look at... Uh, you know, servicing and a retirement fund and advising them, it could be within big organizations. If we can just go back to the, um, the main presentation. So I think with that is some, some background. Um, you know, for many years, people specialized in, in pensions. But I think my presentation today is more about thinking about maybe it's the return of the EB actuary. Because I think we've moved into a world where do you specialize or do you go across different disciplines? And I think the employee benefits environment has changed quite a lot. The, it's, you know, the way that technology is used, the place of work. Um, and I think in essence, the pensions actually many years ago when there was a defined benefit scheme provided for everything. And then everything changed in terms of um, you know, carving up, here's your, here's your DC scheme, medical aid is taken care of, or there's a post-retirement medical. And then I think the role of actuaries in things like the structure of risk benefits, of other benefits, which are employee benefits, fell away. And other people started fulfilling that at employers. I think the thinking is more, there's a lot of value, the strategic thinking, the analysis that an actuary can do, understanding the workplace, doing that, and then advising an employer and any of the entities underneath that, supporting that. Uh, to provide you know, better benefits for individuals and employers. And hence this concept of an EB actuary and not just pure, see pensions as one product of a range of, of different things. But we'll, we'll, let's build up uh, you know, the, the, the story of that. The first thing is that the South African retirement industry has changed dramatically. I don't need to tell you, I mean, you know how, how it's changed, but globally, people are being faced on moving from defined benefit to defined contribution. There's a big shift. And I mean, at the recent conference we went to, it's still something new, you know, for people to look at defined contribution. They're still grappling with a lot of the issues. We've actually had 30 years worth of experience in South Africa in defined contribution, understanding what works, what doesn't work. It's been a massive experiment. And I think we've had lots of learnings over the last, last while. We've got about, in South Africa, 86% of assets sitting with uh, defined contribution. And if you compare that to the US, UK, Netherlands, Canada, Japan, they still have a long way to go. So I think we're quite sophisticated in terms of what we know and do around um, defined contribution. And, but more change is still to happen. But I think definitely we are, if I look at some of the thinking on defined contribution, we're certainly ahead of the curve um, you know, out there uh, uh, globally and very well placed. And I think a lot of the expertise in the audience here, that expertise is really important. Yes, it might not be in DB, but those same things apply in defined contribution. Also, the things that you've learned over the years, 
are extremely valuable to make sure that better outcomes are, are achieved. People get better pensions, the behavioral economics, the things that, and behaviors you've seen, how to advise trustees and how to structure and design things, uh, very important skills to actually improve the outcome. Um, we've also got further changes that are expected, uh, in, in, and we've touched on it in Jonathan's presentation. We've got default regulations, um, but we've also got this shift from standalone funds to umbrella structures. You know, the legislation doesn't really allow for it and is trying to adopt, ad adapt uh, to that, but so is how we consult and how actuaries then provide advice uh, two umbrella funds structuring the, the solutions, but also what you can do for members. And I very much see an actuary playing a critical role at an umbrella fund, designing the strategies, designing the engagement, the tools, being very involved in uh, education, the co uh, communication, and how you, get, how you deliver that through technology, etc., and making sure that we have things that actually move the dial, actually improve uh, pensions at the end of the day. So, you, but, but that being said, I mean, some of the analysis, um, so this is an analysis that we did just having a look at the shift from standalone to um, um, umbrella. We know that with the current growth rates in South Africa and unemployment, um, you know, actually increasing, you know, pension fund growth is not going to be there. There is a shift from standalone to umbrella, but it, at some point, it is going to slow down. There is, however, the regulators wanting 200 funds. If you look at that, um, you know, there, there will still be quite a lot of um, uh, conversions, but still 200 of the largest funds, I think there's still quite a lot of large funds that need to do uh, various things. So the standalone market is still there to stay for many, many years um, to come. And the needs of members and trustees of standalone funds and umbrella, the same. It's, it's a fund, with, although there might be different dynamics, I think the what actuaries can provide on each of those um, are, are very, very uh, relevant. So let's take a little um, journey down memory lane, and I think there's some further questions I'd just like to ask um, on the voting. And that's really, um, you know, do any of you today perform and advise annual index calculations for DC schemes where you calculate the return for last, the last year, sorry, 2017, you're busy calculating it now, and you, you're going to declare the annual return and then calculate the forward-looking return for the next year? Anybody, if you can just say yes or no? I think these are quick, we can just go, th go through. So not, we expect that answer. So I don't know where the 13% still are. <laughs> Chances are it might still be um, other countries, not South Africa. If it is South Africa, then you need to have a look at who the, who, you know, the administrator. Um, there might be nuances there in terms of maybe history behind it. But the reality is, like many of us, we actually had departments doing these calculations. What they actually did every year was a two-page letter and give it uh, to clients to declare the return for the year. And a lot of effort was put in place to make sure it was properly done, judgment was exercised, data was checked. Um, and I think it was a lot. And it, sp it spoke to you know, the quality of data. Uh, asset manager statements didn't come through until, you know, 
who knows when. Um, you know, we used statement M's manually, and then we had assumptions. Um, and then, you know, there's a whole lot of work that, that went around that. Today, uh, it's very, very different. But then you could say, okay, well, you know, times have moved on. Let's go to the next question. How many of you do monthly index calculations? Um, where you calculate the return for the month and declare then for the next, the next month. And many years ago, while you were voting, there was, this was actually a big shift. Big exercises were done when you moved admin systems from the, the, the annual to the monthly. And actually, we'd do all of that, sign it off, and then the departments were then uh, uh, reskilled to do monthly calculations where you have calculation sheets, a methodology, how it's applied. Uh, again, a lot of effort and governance around that. So let's, let's see the results on this one. And again, very, you know, two-thirds. And the other third will rapidly be reducing. And most schemes these days are moving on to daily unitized platforms. And with the move into umbrella funds, that's going to be um, you know, the case as, as, as well. I think let's do one last one before we you know, you know, summarize the memory lane story. So do you perform a sign of actuarial reserve calculations for pension schemes for benefit payments? And uh, I actually remember joining the, the actuarial department when we still did faxes. So uh, who would have thought that I would have been standing here thinking that we were old? But the point is that was still paper-based actuarial calculations, um, you know, signing off things for, for individual members when they resign or exit. And again, there's a 50-50 split, obviously, because of the... Um, it's interesting because there's more here than the, the DB evaluators, and typically it would be the DB. So there might be other reasons for why things are being signed off here. But again, it is rapidly reducing, and we expect that to, to, to change. If we can just go back to the main presentation. So the bottom line is that over the last 30 years, a number of changes were made. If we start from the bottom there, going along the road, pre-1990s, DB valuations, pension increases, funding advice. That's a very small and increasingly smaller component of an actuary's portfolio. We then had big exercises where we uh, did DBDC calculations. I think the impact of that is still to be seen today where people, you know, was that a good or a bad thing? Um, Big pensioner outsourcing, so you know, actuaries got involved there. The reality is it wasn't a long-lasting thing that, in terms of work, but it, it, it kept us busy for quite a, quite a while. Then surplus came around, and I think we got stuck in that because of legislation. And that took over a decade, and sometimes we're still involved in uh, some surplus issues now. And with the advent of DC, those top lines over there, getting involved in DC uh, projections, DC investment strategies, uh, that DC valuations and unit price calculations, I think that's still continuing today, but in a different way, using technologies differently. Um, and you know, some of them will fall away in future. I think my, the message I'm trying to say to a lot of people here is we've already experienced change over the last 30 years. We are, but we're going to experience more change in the next, and it's probably going to be in line with the fourth industrial revolution, changing clients, changing regulations, a whole lot of other things. It's going to be a lot more rapid. But pensions actuaries have adapted. We have adapted in, in, in South Africa. Um, and I think 
The key is just to make sure that we continue to do so and make sure through the structures, the Retirement Matters Committee, we stay relevant, up to date, and I've got some ideas on what, uh, what we can do there. So more change is expected, and here's a, here, here are four themes that you know, we see going, going forward. There's a growing pensions deficit globally, but globally it's driven by you know, defined benefit funds and large social security schemes. In South Africa, we have a deficit. The problem is the deficit is unseen because most people on defined contribution funds, they only experience it when they retire and the family then has to provide support or there's extra stress or they have to scale down for, you know, at, at um, uh, retirement. And I think their actuaries have quite a big role to play in South Africa to make sure that outcomes are improved. Uh, overall, in every 100 rand that you earn at retirement, you, people only get 30 rand uh, pension in retirement. And that's, okay, the stats vary per provider, different. That's not sufficient. You know, research shows that people need closer to what they were earning before retirement, actually, um, and for that to be sustainable. Because actuaries are involved in projections long-term and making sure that we can factor in the uncertainty of returns, inflation, etc., I think actuaries provide very valuable input into defined contribution. It may not be directly with the fund, but it may then need to be with administrators, large financial services companies, and then the remaining standalone funds and umbrella funds, and then using technology for that. An interesting one is the second one, the shifting investment strategies. About 20 years ago, everybody was uh, on balanced funds. You know, that was the standard strategy, balanced fund, one size fits all. Even for a defined contribution fund, everyone was pulled together same return, uh, irrespective of age, gender, uh, risk tolerance, a whole lot of things. And we just saw the default regulations opening the door that to recognize more factors. Age is just one. You need to look at risk preference, membership profile. And I think where, that's where actuaries come in quite, uh, the value of the actuary can be shown. Looking at the membership profile, but then using new technology, administration platforms and analytical techniques to structure investment strategies that are better at an individual level. So when we had the shift many years ago from DB to DC, most funds were one size fits all, and we declared a return. We then had an innovation called LifeStage, um, and that was based on uh, a, a, you know, converting human capital, saving it, and then drawing it when human capital is lower in the advanced ages. Now, that still applies today, but we've got better technology. We've got more information on individuals. We've got age, gender. We've got how much people have in the fund. We actually uh, have technology that can quantify these things in real time uh, to give individualized strategies and execute on them. But that is where an, an actuary becomes quite valuable. The other thing is that with the shifting investment strategies, people have in the past seen you know, equities, bonds, cash is one class of investments, that's investments. Then you've got annuities, and annuities are, is an insurance thing that's provided by a, a life insurer. But actually, if you view an annuity as also an asset on its own, that is contingent upon people living at certain points, it's just like a bond. A bond provides you a schedule of coupons with a bullet payment. An annuity provides you with a schedule of payments but it's contingent on a person's life. 
It is an investment, and underneath it, it you, you can structure it in various ways. The minute you change your, 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 your outlook to that, and you start combining those, you then start seeing much better properties to improve outcomes for individuals at retirement. And I think there's, it's, it's, it's good to see a lot of the innovation happening in some of the thoughts that Sean gave uh, earlier about the selfies as well. Globally, there, there has been a shift there. How do we then for your, even if it is a target date fund or a life stage fund, start integrating post-retirement and pre-retirement better by using better, smarter vehicles? And because of actuary's understanding of mortality, the risks, longer term, also the analytical capability to combine these, I think that is where you can play a really, really important role. A lot of actuaries are now involved in asset management. Uh, asset management houses are actually employing actuaries for these skills, structuring things and advising. And I think that's, that's where big um, you know, value can, can still be added. The other the third point that I've got here is the increased leverage of technology. And that's going to make life a lot easier. The way I see it is, you know, actuaries had, you know, when I used to be at the old, our old head office here in, in Joburg, there was a valuation machine that was on the ground floor and it was probably the size of, you know, this, <laughs> the projector over here. And it was, it took, you know, apparently like a whole weekend to do valuation, do things. You had books the size of, the, and, you, and you know, an actuary is not a cheap resource, and, but companies use it and because it managed fi uh, finances, essentially. But you can do that now to the individual, and you can essentially have an actuary in your pocket, for lack of a better word, because of technology, having those techniques uh, available to optimize to you individually. It is happening globally. There are a lot of um, uh, uh, financial services companies that have already moved this way, and I think South Africa is, is um, one of those as well. The other, the other use of technology, and I think where actuaries can add a lot of value, ties in with the earlier discussion around systems. Um, essentially what we used to do was we were, we, we were acting for the fund to make sure as a check that everything's fine, and that's when we declared the return. Even though funds are moved to daily unitization, same, the same thing can, can be done for administrators, making sure all the processes from the member joining all the way through to receiving pension payments are efficient, uh, done well, redesigned. I myself was involved in, in a number of uh, business cases where you can actually show and convince uh, the companies to actually invest in certain technologies. And the reason is because you understand pensions. You can understand the dynamics of it and convince companies uh, to spend. So I think, you know, in terms of business case development, product development, um, and also working closer with the IT and operations uh, departments, that is a critical skill that I think uh, pensions actuaries bring to the table. And I think needs, you know, more can be done to formalize that and also to do more training, you know, around that. Um, and then the changing, yeah, the fourth one there is changing consumer preferences. Um, you know, people want things today, and they, they want it immediately. And I think with the kinds of analysis that actuaries can do, you can identify what those are and be dynamic. But to, to do that, you need to be part of an organization uh, where there's lots of data, looking at things. And I think, you know, the roles in big financial services corporations will change, uh, and using pensions actuaries specifically for, for those things. 
Just having a look at um, some other changes, we've, we've touched on um, you know, regulatory changes, Jonathan went through a few. Just some, some of my thoughts, I mean default regulations, uh, very important. And to advise a fund properly on the implications of defaults, how to structure and design it, which ones to put in place. It's not a standard consultant. It requires an actuary, in my view, who understands those dynamics, is able to show and look at the membership profile and then design an appropriate solution. The reason for that is you need understanding of investment markets, longevity, admin systems, and bringing all of this stuff together to have an efficient default. Also doing ongoing reporting for clients, for trustees as well as employers, the usage of it and that it's effective. Because once you put it in, you need to monitor and make sure that those things are effective uh, over time. Pension illustration regulations, we talked about it earlier, Sean touched on it. That's very important where the actuary signs off. So, and I think you know, we mustn't underestimate the importance of that. Um, when uh, Robert Merton was here from uh, the US and you know, we were working with them on, on, on various things, it actually came up that one of the concerns that they have globally is that people game the system and have inappropriate uh, or providers essentially provide inappropriate assumptions to promise people certain things for retirement and when they get there in 30 years from time, in time, there's going to be a lot of legal cases against all the providers, employers, etc. We have a huge risk that this can actually happen, I think, with these regulations. Uh, and I think it's quite important that you know, proper uh, actuarial involvement is around that at both the financial services uh, you know, level for the administrators as well as each and every fund to have uh, confidence around that. So I think we mustn't underestimate that, otherwise we will have mis-selling and potential court cases, etc. So, and then the other thing is increasing pressure on fees. Now while we've got that, people mustn't forget, and I'm glad somebody else mentioned it earlier, is what is the value? And I think you know, the value of, an, of, of pensions actuaries is substantial in terms of managing risk, reducing costs within, within an organization reducing operational costs, making administration more efficient, I've seen it. That doesn't mean that people have to spend money, actuaries can help save. I think it's just having the right roles in place um, and then promoting that, I think, within the industry is going to be quite um, important. Also, there's, um, I touched on this, I mean, there's increasing importance of managing defined contribution strategies using, using actuarial principles. Uh, and I think this is going to become increasingly important with the default regulations. There's going to be a, a lot of discussion between now and 1 March next year for each and every fund, trustees, employers, and everyone needs to have a credible investment strategy. And I think actuaries are perfectly placed, understanding the liabilities, the long term, and given the new financial instruments that we have available to us, how to optimize that into a, a solution. So I very much see the actuarial and asset management side coming uh, a lot together. And for those of you that think that this is theoretical and uh, potential, it's already happening. There are already solutions out there, and they have been for a few years actually, targeting an individual, what they are, in various sophistication. In Australia, there was a presentation in, in Berlin about Q, uh, the Q Super, which is a big fund, a superannuation fund there where they've actually evolved life stage strategies to more individualized, um, where they 
you know, segment the, the, the membership based on different factors. And funding level is one of them. We have to calculate the funding level. Now, how do you do that? What assumptions do you use? Is it credible? Is it X, Y, Z? So it's already happening. Even in South Africa, there's already uh, solutions like that in various forms, targeting either a return at an individual level or more sophisticated ones using funding levels at individuals and incorporating liability-driven investment um, techniques. That's all happening, and it's all happened in, in South Africa in the last two years. So it's rapidly ramping up, and the reason for it is technology is improved, admin systems are becoming, those that invest in it, obviously, um, are more responsive to that, allowing us to design better things from a product um, point of view. So I, th I see pensions actuaries combining liability and investment management, and it's showing value to clients, and it's not necessarily about reducing costs. So on the left-hand side, we've got, many of you would have seen the Morningstar research uh, alpha, beta, gamma. Does anybody know what the gamma is all about? Okay, I know that there's some people here, but um, the point is alpha, manager outperformance, beta, uh, performance of the index, the market. Gamma is what you get by engaging in other things like financial advice, uh, but there are other factors looking at to your total wealth, liability optimization, uh, optimizing based on your tax and having dynamic withdrawal strategies and there's a whole range of other things. Now the point is there's a lot of extra value that can be given to pension fund members that historically were given by expensive advisors. And you needed to have a one-on-one -on -one consultation, they go through a framework, etc., and then advise on things. Pension funds can now incorporate that technology or that, those approaches in their default strategies Maybe not to the full extent, okay, but it, we're, we're on the way there to at least, in, uh, you know, there's at least three of the factors that I've mentioned have already been proven to be combined into that, into default structures, which add value to the end member at the end of the day. Also on the right-hand side, it demonstrates, uh, and there's also quotes here from various people in the industry, a lot of investment management houses have started embracing this concept of outcomes-based or goals-based investing. To do that properly, you need to quantify a goal and then do an ALM and, and to calculate probabilities to make sure how do I get there the best way. Actuaries are perfectly placed and especially pensions actuaries for the pension goal uh, as well. And there we illustrate how we actually, it, it can reduce, uh, it can actually improve the, the likelihood of the outcome being met. Yes, it won't shoot the lights out, but more and more members will actually retire better than the old solutions that are there. But it requires a different uh, mindset. Uh, just to, you know, we, we're almost at the, at the end here, but I just wanted to also say that, you know, saving for retirement is still a really important goal, globally and here. How you deliver that will change as technology uh, and our knowledge and ana analytics capabilities, etc., change. But, but the other thing is that more and more these things are becoming interlinked. And that's why I'm saying that more and more, maybe it's not just about specializing in pensions, but reskilling some of the pensions actuaries to look at becoming EB actuaries. Because I think there are interlinkages between all of those uh, uh, things. Um, which is really th this particular charge, you know, in terms of 
If you want to improve financial well-being for an individual, which is ultimately, I want to make sure that from the day a person joins, they are safeguarded until retirement and into retirement have a sufficient income, you need to manage all of those aspects. The gray at the bottom there is of financial issues. The green over here is all the physical and mental health issues. What, what I've found over the last number of years is that things that affect on the healthcare side do translate into pension outcomes, for example, uh, and, and your, your financial health issues, and vice versa. So people that are highly indebted, and you analyze that, there's a high correlation between that and absenteeism, also between that and people's pension savings, um, preservation rates, which then ultimately impacts what pensions people get. So if you want to uh, improve the pension outcome, you need to go to the source. The source is how people are managing finances, how they're managing debt. Is it on joining, exit, and retirement easy to exercise the option? That speaks to using technology. Uh, using, and all of those things require a lot of actuarial input and knowledge. Uh, you need to know about things like absenteeism, the drivers of it. And then how you, if you can structure a better emergency savings scheme, that means you can structure a better retirement scheme because a lot of people are accessing retirement for their emergency savings, vice versa. So you need to look at this whole thing um, you know, quite holistically to actually do a, a good job. Also, financial services businesses are moving to a more um, ecosystem type approach. If you look at all the major financial services companies, it's not just a bank, life insurance. They've got all of those and increasingly looking at how to combine those into one and everybody using the buzzword client centricity, the individual. The, the pensions actuary has a very important role within that. There's a lot of expertise there, but what it does mean is working together with other experts in other areas to get uh, a better outcome at the, at the end of the day. So in terms of my, my view is that you know, there probably would be the return of the EB actuary, um, which is really more, you know, in the past actuaries were looked at by employers for not just retirement funding, but a range of other things providing that, that advice. And I think we're potentially going back there, but in a different way. Um, what it means is that we, we use our core actuarial skills, but across, not just for pensions, for all employee benefits, knowing things about absenteeism, debt management, health, and then bringing it all together. And then you would still, you know, you do have specialists within different areas, but more and more, I think the, the lines between the different um, actuarial disciplines are gonna be blurred as we move into the new era, and we need to be dynamic as to how we do that. So being multi-skilled, understanding the dynamics and changes in the workplace. I think actuaries will need to upskill about what's happening at employers, the gig economy, the fourth industrial re uh, um, revolution, what that means, but then also how you can do various analytics um, to improve that. I mean, overseas they do analytics looking at you know, if we have a group of people and we put them together, what type of skills do they need? Is it important to have an older person together with a younger person for this project because of increased productivity? 
actuaries are very well um, positioned you know, for those particular things. And then the last one is uh, technology I've spoken a lot about, but get gaining an understanding of behavioral economics. I think if you want to be an effective pensions or EB actuary, you really have to understand this, because if you do this and you apply it in practice, you can show your value, and if you show your value, then clients and, um, you know, will pay for the services that ultimately are, are you're putting forward. So I think, Costa, I think there's a lot to, to think about, but I thought we'd just open it up if there's uh, time for some, some thoughts, debate, different views, potentially, of, of people. Thank you, John. Uh, we definitely have uh, time for a few questions, maybe two questions. Um, anybody from the floor that would like to comment, question, add? No questions? There's a question. John uh, Willem LaRue, I see you were desperate for a question, so I thought I'd jump in. Um, just your point about movement to outcome-based investing. Um, I know you and I have spoken about this in similar terms recently, but I really don't understand uh, the, the need to move to something with a higher level of certainty, but a lower expected outcome. If we already have the average replacement ratio at retirement being 30%, then by paying in basically a bit of a guarantee premium to bring down your expected returns but a high level of certainty of meeting your target just means we have to get people to save 27.5% and you know, always keep on saving when they change jobs. So I don't understand the, the fascination with outcome-based investing. I think it's going the wrong direction. Your view? So look, there's, there's definitely... You, you need to unpack what outcomes-based means. So there's definitely all the way from the engagement of an individual through to the underlying um, asset management capability to do that into the different uh, building blocks. So my experience definitely has been, I think if we want to, uh, uh, the biggest problem we have actually is that people don't focus on the end outcome and therefore behavior doesn't change, right? So if you can, from day one, start helping people focus on the income is the goal for retirement. That, to me, is by far the greatest value of, uh, you know, of, of a system of outcomes-based uh, approach. Because from day one, uh, and research shows it internationally, if you have populations and generations that are taught and brought up about income when you retire, secure it, get it from the insurer, People do annuitize and they save and they do it responsibly and they get to the end outcome. In South Africa, we've had the issue of people were left to their own devices. We've also had spectacular investment returns and the entire industry was based around getting the best return. Now, changing the conversation to it's not about the best return because that drives the wrong behavior. I'm switching managers, um, you know, the next investment scheme I'm getting over here. And also I don't know that when I cash out my pension, uh, my savings, that actually I'm not going to make it up. So the single biggest thing, if, if we can get right, is for people to focus on the income and the income goal and then also giving them from day one the right communication and information. I have seen how that has changed. So that's one really, really important part of the outcomes-based approach. Then you get other incremental value, and that's where you could argue that about return versus payoff. 
if you look at the typical liability-driven investment strategies at an individual level, if you are, if you have, a, and the way they've been designed in the past is assuming the average member over 30 years, you're using the average. You are not looking at each and every individual member. What I'm talking about is genuine individual. I'm trying to get a greater percentage of those people to a better outcome. I absolutely accept that there will be people that would, would be better off under the old uh, arrangement and you know, people under. I'm trying to minimize the, those, the, the tail events. It is possible, though, to engineer on the investment part. There are various ways of doing it without go and various techniques to do that, and I think that's uh, quite important. Some of them are more and better successful. Um, but I think this, this concept of from day one giving income as the goal and teaching people and making sure that the, the investment strategies at least talk to that as a principle I think is important. The back engineering, I think we can debate, you know, we could a whole, a whole range of things on how best to, to do that. But I think if we get that right, then there's another thing, and, and this one I'm quite passionate uh, about, is in retirement. Um, when I speak about outcomes-based approach, I think people still are using investment thinking in retirement. Let's take my living annuity, let's take my pension savings and get the best return. Therefore, I invest in a living annuity. Why? Because the, if I invest in an annuity, the, the insurer is going to get the money, I'm not going to have a legacy, there's all these other issues. The problem with that is that it's framed incorrectly. How are you going to invest 5 million rand? That's the problem. If you say, I've got, you know, I've got a, an amount, how, do you, how much do you want as an income, and what are all the different tools that I have available to give you the best certainty of getting that income, as well as managing your legacy? You will find a different result. And that's why I talk about blending if you, you know, uh, life annuities with traditional asset classes. That's one. But then the tools that advisors use need to be reframed. You can't use return risk in the old framework. You actually have to say, how much sustainable income do you want and what legacy must you leave? If you just have those two data points, you will find that the, 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 the optimal solution is a combination of the two uh, instruments in varying proportions, and then you can do a whole lot of other things. So that's what I mean, and, and, and that categorically has shown that it adds a lot of value and the reason for that is you now have access to mortality credits that you haven't had access to before. You, by having a stream of income, you're able to invest more aggressively on the balance of your assets in like a living annuity. So when it gets to post-retirement structuring, the benefits are a lot more and I think those are, are, are a lot more well documented. What you're talking about is maybe the before retirement the engineering of the investment, I absolutely agree. The, the, it's the communication, the focusing on the goal, training and getting people ready for retirement. But then from retirement, there's, there's more benefits of using different financial instruments that have extra value that you typically don't get access to. So hopefully that's a... If I can maybe just add, um, this goals-based approach is not necessarily at the expense of return. Um, in fact, where it's been applied, um, Goals-based investing, if you look at the sort of average asset profile of funds that have targeted that type of structure, um, 
it often uh, turns out to be a more aggressive investment strategy on the whole. Um, what it's doing is it's just individualizing those underlying asset allocations and it's using certain types of financial instruments more optimally uh, to better engineer uh, 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 an outcome that is more consistent with what the member is looking for. Um, it's not at the expense of returns. It's not necessarily bringing certainty to the end goal. What it's doing is it's creating in the mind of the member by communicating those particular messages well up front. It's bringing to the mind of the member um, greater clarity as to what that end goal might be. Um, that, that, that's what it's really doing. Um, yeah, and I think if, if I can just maybe, um, I'm just trying to, there were some slides here that actually illustrates it quite well. Okay, we, but what I've also found is that with the technology, you now have the ability to pull the information real time for all the members across uh, and it's now, you know, many people would, in the past, actuaries have done um, replacement ratio calculations, right? You've all done it. But you, how often do you do it? Quarterly, annually, every three years, and it's static. Is it genuinely linked to the investment strategy that's underlying? And the answer to that is no. It's all, it's very rudimentary, very, but the conversation that you have with clients is much more powerful. Now, if you integrate all of that systems, technology, with better information, you give better advice for employers, and I've seen in practice a better uh, outcomes for individuals. So, I mean, I obviously prescribe to the, the outcomes-based approach. Happy to have further discussion, and I think there's a lot of value and things for us to, to embrace as a profession. Thank you, John. Um, John, on behalf of us all here, thanks very much for the, the presentation and your efforts and contribution into the topic. Um, it's obviously, you know, as, as, as we go through these pension conferences every year, what, what is absolutely uh, evident is the reducing number of, of actuaries that are attending uh, these conferences. So it's almost like we're on the endangered species list. Um, but hopefully with some of the insights that you've offered today um, and some of the the challenges that our industry has, that actuaries recognize the role that they can play, the very meaningful role that they can play, and as custodians of this industry, um, uh, you know, place greater emphasis on actually delivering value to, to, to the end user and, and hopefully bring them, um, you know, the sort of goals and, and, and income levels that are sustainable and give them the sort of standard of livings that, they, that they're looking for. But thanks very much for all your efforts and contribution. A round of applause. Thank you. Uh, thanks,